Please welcome this evening's moderator, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and host of the podcast, Why Not Now, Amy Jo Martin. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I don't know about you, but Andy is kind of the voice in my head when it comes to Headspace, most of us, if, if you're a Headspace user. So pretty excited for him to come out here. Um, we will be getting to that in just a moment. I wanted to share this clip with you first, though. Welcome to Headspace. Headspace is like a gym membership for the mind. Using proven mindfulness techniques with easy-to-follow instructions, we'll show you how to train your mind for a healthier, happier, more enjoyable life. Think of it as meditation for modern living, a way of treating your head right. Now, you can get Headspace on your phone or on your computer. Simply open up the app or your browser and follow the instructions to get going. The best place to start is with Take 10. This is a free 10-day program where you can learn the basics of meditation in just 10 minutes a day. This should give you enough time to get a feel for it, to discover a few of the benefits, and to get excited about the potential of living with a healthy and happy mind. And who knows, maybe if you treat your head right, everything else will follow. So, my background with Headspace has really been, it's formalized over the last month or so, um, they are the sponsor of my podcast, Why Not Now? Uh, and really, Headspace has been in my life for maybe five months, I'd say. And I've just gone through a very intense year of transition. And I can say with as much gratitude as possible, Headspace has been a huge part of, of really increasing my quality of life. And with that, I would love to introduce Headspace co-founder, Andy Puttycomb. Hi. Oh, lots of people. Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. Absolutely. I bet they're excited for you to talk a little bit more so they can hear that. Who uses Headspace? Okay. So they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about your story in early, early days, pre-Headspace. Sure. So you started meditating, what, were you 11? Yeah, I was, um, I was about 10 or 11, 11 years old. So I grew up in a, a very traditional family, by the way. I didn't wasn't kind of weird or wacky family. I just had a, a mum who was very uh, progressive and, and interested in those things. And um, even her parents, so back in the 50s and 60s, were kind of doing meditation and they'd done some acupuncture and so on. I think it just set her on a course. And in the same way, kind of learning meditation when I was, I was 10 set me on a, on a course as well. And then it was years later that you became a monk, right? So was there a point yeah. where you... You decided, okay, I'm going to get back to this thing I, I just learned thought, when I was young. I thought you finish school and then you go to the <laughs> Himalayas and become a monk. I yeah, just thought naturally. that's what people did. Absolutely. Um, no, I, um, I don't know if those of you, um, you won't know if you just listen to the app, but you'll know if you've read my book and things. Um, uh, so apologies if you heard the story before. Um, but I, I, I went through a couple of just really challenging things in my late teens. So my stepsister was killed in a, in a car accident. And then I was, I was with a group of friends just standing outside a, uh, a rugby club. We'd had a party. It was Christmas Eve. 
And a drunk driver crashed into the group, and a couple of couple of them died, and and a lot of people got really seriously injured. And and for me, at that age, I think at any age actually, it would have been very difficult. But at that age, I really didn't know how to cope. So I did what I thought everybody did to cope, which is just to go out and get drunk. And it kind of worked in a very temporary way, but then you know you wake up the next day and it's the thoughts in your mind are still there and I think just generally like in life you know that's what we tend to do we look for distraction when when it's difficult when when we're challenged in the mind but those distractions don't last so I went to university and um, I was about a year in when I made the decision to, to quit and um, to give up intellectual study I guess and to go away and, and become a monk and try and understand what was going on inside instead and what does a day in the life of a monk look like? So yeah, I was, um, we were chatting about this just yesterday and I, I, I don't think it's necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Uh, it's quite, it's, it's fairly um, routine. You get up at about um, 2, 2.30 in the morning. Um, so you start meditating at, at three. Uh, and then you, you stop at six for breakfast. You do uh, another three or four hours meditation in the morning. You stop for lunch. Lunch is the last meal of the day. You then do three or four hours in the afternoon. Have a little break. Three or four hours in the evening. And then you go to bed, which is um, it's pretty rock and roll. It's, um, it's exciting, and that's what you do 300 365 days a year. Yeah. It sounds pretty crazy. It's yeah. wild. It's wild. <laughs> so naturally you progress and join the circus. So this is the this is the confusing <laughs> bit, and um, yes. so yeah, for those of you uh, again who, who don't know, so when I I came to the end of um, my time as a monk when I was living in Moscow. So um, when you've gone through a certain amount of training at the monastery, they normally send you to to teach in a in a meditation center. I was sent to Moscow, and. Um, I'd gone 10 years. So before I was a, a monk, I'd been a competitive gymnast and I was very active. And I'd gone 10 years of doing no exercise at all as a monk. So I was kind of really keen to do something physical again. And I had a friend who was studying at Moscow State Circus. And he said, why don't you just come along? And I went along and I thought, actually, this is really nice. You know, I knew I wanted to do something like Headspace. I wanted to find a way of uh, taking what I'd learned, but I had no idea how. Uh, I didn't have any money. At that time, I didn't even have any clothes. I had the clothes I was wearing. But as a monk, you give everything away. You have nothing at all. So it's kind of thinking, like, how am I going to do this? And I, I found out you could do a, a degree in circus arts. And, and for me, I know it sounds random. It sounds so strange. But it was a really nice transition and a bridge from the monastery to back to worldly life. And essentially, I, got, I had a couple of years of just swinging around like a monkey on a trapeze. And it was amazing. I loved it. <laughs> We were talking just prior, and and I also learned. Well, you had been a gymnast prior to becoming a monk, right? So this yeah. was, this was you were still in your swim lane here, <laughs> at least. <Yeah>. And <laughs> you might be the world's most interesting man, Andy. I don't know about that. Ask I my wife; she'll I tell you that. You I'm might not. be taking that one <laughs> here soon. Um, so you progress on, and you knew you wanted to do something with this learning, and then what happened you you take that and mobilize it but not necessarily in the headspace form yeah yet, right exactly so um while i was in the in the circus i'd already started working on on the content 
and trying to think kind of how could I take the teachings that I'd learned, most of which were in Tibetan or Pali, and kind of and make them accessible. How could I make those those techniques accessible, but also just kind of talking about it, you know, in a way that people would understand. Um, and I found a, a physician in London. So for those, anyone here from from the UK? Not tonight. A couple of headspaces. All right. Um, but the, in in the in the UK, um, just as I went back there. Uh, Mindfulness, as meditation is often called in the medical world, had just been approved by the National Health Service in the, in the UK to be used particularly for the relapse of depression. So there were doctors who were looking to, to prescribe this but had no idea how to teach it. So I was very lucky I got to work in a clinic for about two and a half years doing one-to-one -one with people and learning a huge amount from, from these people that would come to the clinic but also having an opportunity to experiment not suggesting they were guinea pigs, but to experiment with the, with the techniques and to find out what worked and, and what didn't. And it was through that process that, yeah, I met the, the co-founder of, of Headspace, Rich Pearson. This is a candlelight dinner, right? Candlelight dinner. This is a, this is a true bromance. It's, um, <laughs> Rich and I, we've, we've known each other for, he's not here, he's in New York tonight, but um, he's, he had another event. We, we had to kind of go our separate ways. Um, Rich is amazing, and for those of you that use the app, um, the look and the feel and all that creativity that just oozes from it, that is, that is rich, you know, and um, he's really driven that part of it. He, when we met, he was a burnt out advertising exec, uh, desperate for some headspace, and um, I was just a bold guy in a clinic who kind of wanted to know how to take meditation outside of the clinic, so we started doing a skill swap. And um, he'd come for an hour of meditation, and then we'd go across to, to a cafe across the road, and he'd, he'd tell me, you know, it was marketing 101, like, how do you, how do you take this, this beyond? And we got on so well that we, we started working together. Rich came and worked for nothing for a little while, and, yeah, one thing led to another. Which is so, so cool, because now you have 9 million users. I, I think million? we just we passed the the nine nine million mark last last week and yeah in over oh. yeah it's amazing amazing you know it's in it's in over two hundred countries now and we haven't we haven't translated yet but it's something we we will be doing and and it's just really exciting to to see it kind of travel and scale in this way if you look back at the history of meditation and how it's travelled over the the centuries and millennia, you know, it's very often when it's gone to a new place, it's taken maybe like a hundred years or so to kind of even get this far, you know, and to reach maybe a few million people. And, and you look at scalability now and what digital's done for that, to be able to reach nine million people in sort of three and a half years is, yeah, it's fantastic. Congratulations. It is amazing. And tech meets mindfulness. So coming from the tech industry, <laughs> mindfulness isn't necessarily the first thing that pops into my head, but it's such a beautiful marriage. And, and how have you been able to balance kind of with your team and just with the culture of, of your brand that, um, that mindfulness, that purpose with being in such a fast-paced, sometimes not the most mindfulness-oriented industry. How has that worked out? Obviously well with 9 million users. Well, but it's okay, you know. Th is there a little healthy tension at times with that? Yeah, there is, you know. I, the, we, the bottom line is that we, all of us, 
kind of here. We're all living in the world, you know, just because I used to live in a monastery. Maybe it makes it a little bit easier, but not that much easier, you know. And we all have families to look after and friends and um, our work lives and our social lives. And I think, it, of course, it's, it's challenging at, at Headspace. Um, we've, it's been tricky because we've, we've scaled quite quickly. We've gone from, I think, I think we've gone from something like 30 to 130 people in the last year. And it's, it's quite hard as when you get that many people come on to kind of maintain the sense of culture. So when we started up, I think there was a real kind of, like most startups, a real sense of family, you know, and, um, and everybody is living those values. And then as you scale and you bring in amazing people, but who don't necessarily kind of have those, they, they, it takes a little while to kind of settle into to that environment and those values. So there's always a little bit of tension kind of with that. And, and just on a personal level as well, I went from doing sort of 16, 18 hours a day of, of nothing but sitting with my eyes closed on the floor to living this life, which is kind of surreal. Um, I've, I love doing what <laughs> I do, you know, I'm really, really lucky, but it's a, it's a very different thing. So it's, it's been, the, the app I hope reflects my own experience of having to, of knowing that I can't take, my wife and my son would be extremely unhappy if I said to them, excuse me, I'm just going to go and take three hours out to meditate. You know, so I have to kind of f find that time and, and I hope the, the development of the app reflects the fact that, that I'm living exactly the same life, you know, as, as all of us live and, and trying to find time in the day. More importantly, trying to find the, a way in which I can bring mindfulness into to every moment of, of every day. And having, I was fortunate to be in the Headspace headquarters last week in Santa Monica, and I was really excited to, to experience the culture. Um, and I have to say, it was, it was the perfect mix of innovation, progressiveness, and just chill. People who are really enjoying what they're doing. Obviously, uh, the purpose meets tech is such a powerful place and collision but it was it was pretty exciting to f to feel that and know that growth is happening so fast and and so kudos to to you for and your we, team I, I should say we like none of the business kudos goes to me um <laughs> we have we have an amazing team amazing management team and everyone's incredibly passionate there and and really every day when you sit down and use the app all those people a kind of part of making that happen and they're part of of your experience you have to listen to me and i apologize for that but um but the, the rest of it like is is down to the rest of the team you joke about us having to listen to you but i was thinking earlier maybe there should be a you know a drop down of the voice you want to hear for your navigation and it's like andy instead of all the other things i, I wouldn't mind um, so what makes Headspace different? Obviously, mindfulness is just this wave that the adoption is incredible right now. And everywhere you go, everything you hear, it's meditation, it's all different types, especially when it comes to technology and us embracing mindfulness in this way. What makes Headspace different? So as I said, I think the, the way the, the team, especially the creative team have approached it, I do think they brought something really different to it. I think it feels very different. Um, uh, personally, I'm not a, a big user of, of mindfulness apps, so I'm not in the best position to, to, to judge that stuff. Um, but I, I, I like to think, and, and I genuinely believe this, the, the, the authenticity that, that's there. So none of these are my 
my techniques. They're not my teachings or anything like that. These are all things that, that were passed down, and they're things that have been passed down for hundreds and hundreds of years. So even so, I trained in in both the Burmese tradition and also the Tibetan tradition. You know, those are practices. A lot of the practices go back about two and a half thousand years. Um, a, some of the others go back a sort of eight nine hundred years. There's nothing newer than that on the app. So for me, it, it works because it's been around for a really long time. You know, it's in terms of R and D years, like a thousand years, two thousand years. That's a that's really pretty reliable. Long time. <laughs> Just refining and developing and learning, kind of as it meets new cultures and how it meets new cultures and. And how we're all different and how there can't just be one meditation technique for everybody that suits everybody. That we need lots of different kind of approaches. And, and so I, I hope that part of its efficacy is down to the, the lineage and tradition from which I, I benefited from myself. Fair enough. The real, the real deal. And so I have a question for you, Andy. When I'm going through my sessions and... I'm just kind of swatting away some thoughts and then finally get to this point where you say, okay, open up your mind. You can think about anything you want. And then I can't think of anything and it's so magical. How do you do that? So who else experiences that at the end? It's yeah. My favorite part. Lots of people. <laughs> so it's a funny thing. And I don't know how many of you have, um, have seen the, the horse little horse animation that we have if you haven't then make sure you, you kind of have a look at it on on the app but i think very often when we when we focus i'll explain the horse animation by the way. um i think very often when we when we focus especially if we haven't done much meditation before we tend to focus a little bit too hard and as a result the mind kind of wriggles around a little bit it tends to think a lot so the way it was taught to me was okay imagine you have a wild horse the wild horse is very kind of active doesn't really want to settle. Now, if you try and hold on to the wild horse, the wild horse is going to kick free. That's a little bit like a mind that's just sat down, trying to focus a bit too hard. It's not very comfortable for the horse, in the same way the mind is, is busy thinking. Now, if you take that horse, and bear in mind this was a Tibetan teacher that told me this, they're living in, you know, out in the steeps. They take a horse, and rather than pinning it down, they put it on the end of a really long rope, and they give it lots and lots of space. And over periods of days, they slowly bring it in. So the horse feels like it's got lots of space, but it's still on the end of the rope. So if you think about that from a sort of a focus and spaciousness point of view from the mind, it's really similar to that last bit where you say to the mind, okay, you've got all the space you want. And then the mind's a bit like, meh, I'm happy here, thanks. <laughs> I'm good. And, and it's really confusing because you spend the last 10 minutes trying to focus really hard on your breath and the mind's doing this and then it's like, okay, do what you want. And it doesn't want to do anything. It's magic. So. The important thing is when you experience that is to remember that the next time you sit down to meditate. So remember that feeling of not really having to try too hard, of giving your mind lots of space. You're still focusing on the object of meditation, whatever that is in that moment, but you have that sense of, okay, mind, you have as much space as you want. When you do that, it starts to, I think meditation gets a lot easier. Good, <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. My favorite pack after getting through the foundation was um, the focus. I really like that. Just, and speaking of, of different areas and directions, Headspace Kids just launched a couple months ago. It did, yeah. Anyone tried Headspace Kids yet with their, with their little ones? Yeah. Okay, so we, well, firstly, having benefited as a, as a kid myself from it, um, it was something I really wanted to do. 
But we were asked to participate in a, a pilot study about two years ago. And it was in public schools in, in LA and in Seattle. Uh, it was for six to nine year olds. And we put it together. And our request to the schools was that just, just three minutes a day. That was it, per classroom. And we found out at the end of the study that the most classrooms were doing at least five a day. And the teachers were joining in as well. And it was great. The kids were saying, this is amazing. Our teacher doesn't get stressed anymore. She doesn't shout at us as much as she used to. And the teachers were going, it's amazing. The kids aren't insane anymore. They settle down and, you know, transition is so much easier. And so we, we learned a lot from that study. And so then we just start, wanted to, to make it available to people at home as well. So it's early days, but yeah, it was really, it was a special moment to launch Airspace for Kids. That's awesome. And it's also something that really has started to resonate in sports, right, with athletes. So we just had the Olympics, and a lot of the gold medalists use Headspace. They do, yeah. That's pretty neat. No. That's I'm, pretty neat. So I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm going to the Olympics soon. Great, yeah. That's my uh, next, uh, clearly. No, like it was it was amazing, and like it wasn't something like most things at Headspace. It was kind of more by accident than design. Um, it actually happened. The, the beginning of that story happened uh, before we even had an app. So it was when we were running events in London, and this um, young lady kept coming along, like month after month. And you, after a while, even if it's a few hundred people, you start to recognise the people that came back. And eventually she queued up at the end to, to come and ask a question. And she was a sports psychologist working with Team GB. And she said, look, I'm taking these exercises and sharing them kind of with, with my athletes. I hope that's, that's okay. And so we started to, to do a little bit of work and they went into London 2012 and we had some amazing results, including a, a gold medal. Uh, I say we as though I was somehow <laughs> part of, of the gold medal. I wasn't, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, they, the, the athletes. And... Um, and as a result of that, um, they said, okay, well, look, you know, we've got four years now to Rio. Let's, let's work on something that's going to be, you know, useful for every, every athlete. So it was really exciting. Yeah, we, we spent about two years putting the, the project together. Uh, it, was, it was available within the app. You guys couldn't see it, and I'm sorry about that. It was kind of hidden. Uh, they had access to it. It was part of the deal that they'd have access to it up to, to Rio. Um, but yeah, now we're now we're out the out the other side. Um, we've already soft launched half of that, um, and we'll be we'll be releasing kind of the full the full vertical of, of sport packs very soon. And when so Andy is going to be on the po on my podcast soon, and one of the things that we talked about was kind of the difference between exercise and meditation. And I know I used to think that jogging or running was my form of meditation and and kind of escape and and time to think or just let the mind kind of rest. And now I realize after meditating, that's actually not the same. Uh, it's it's different. Can you talk to us a little bit about the, the difference and, and the benefits of, of not exercising while meditating? Yeah. I so I think there's a, there's a couple of points. I think the, the first point, how many of you have experienced that? You have your, and it doesn't, like that thing in life that kind of puts you into a meditative state. Might be jogging, running, swimming, some of you. So look, it's quite a common thing, and, and people often say, oh, I don't need meditation, I've got my meditation, it, it's running. Well, first off, that, that's great until you get injured. Then you don't have your meditation anymore. So I think anything that we're dependent on is it's kind of a little bit a little bit risky you know and and also if you take it a step further 
if you're in the middle of a, a really uncomfortable conversation with a, your partner or maybe your boss at work and you're starting to feel really anxious and stressed, it's very difficult to, to turn to them and say, um, excuse me, you know what, I'm just going to go for a little run. <laughs> just need to calm down. I'll be back in a minute. So, you know, I, the, it's very, it feels very separate for me as a, as a separate activity. I, I think I would, I would characterize them as, as meditation and mindfulness. So that feeling that you get when you're swimming, you're cycling, you're running, perhaps you're a musician or maybe you're an artist, when you kind of find that sense of flow, that's when you take that quality of being present and bring it into your life in a very sort of tangible way. But it's tricky to learn. And so we still need a skill where we kind of sort of separate ourselves from everyday life and, and learn that skill. And, and for me, that's meditation. So when you sit and you close your eyes and you focus the mind in that way, you're simply practicing being or practicing the quality of mindfulness. You then can take that and carry it into, into your life. And switching gears for a moment to the science side of meditation. And um, is, it, is the statistic 47% of our lives were kind of lost in thought? Yes, there was a, yeah, it's it from a Harvard study. Um, it's probably it's not old now, but it's like six, seven years old. And, and yeah, they, they found that, that almost half of, our, half of our life, almost 50% of our, our time is spent lost in thought. And for me, that was scary enough. But the, the more scary conclusion in the, when that paper was published was that when we allow our mind to wander, we are more likely to be unhappy. So it'd be far, in a way, you know, we, we could, could say, well, look, if our mind wanders and it leads us to really kind of happy, blissful states, then what's the problem? But actually, more often than not, we tend to go down those old negative kind of storylines, those, those well-worn kind of roots that have been part of the conversation in our mind for a, a very long time. And, and as a consequence, we're more, we're more unhappy. Yeah. One of the things, and we'll open this up to Q&A here in a minute, but the the ability to be a little more in touch with my intuition has been a huge upside, I guess, for me, knowing that in the past, it, it's been a little difficult to know at times, should I make something happen or should I let something happen? Gas, brakes, and, and out of touch. Do, is there any science or research that kind of shows people are more in touch with their intuitive side when they meditate? Good question just as absolute proof that none of this was rehearsed beforehand. Sorry, I, I genuinely don't know. Um, Maybe we'll work on there's, 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 a, there's lots of research around um, sort of decision-making, um, how we make our decisions. Of course, some of us tend to be more kind of logical in our decision-making process. Others are more, you know, lean a little bit more towards intuition. But I don't know if there's anything specific. I think most people I know who have who practice meditation on a regular basis say that they, they just feel a little bit more in touch with that gut feeling, whatever you want to call it, that, that feeling of intuition. It's, it's certainly something that I've, I've found over the years. Me too. So that's our study. Yeah. We're proof, right? <laughs> Done. Clini Done. Clini clinical Check. study. We don't right even there. need to do it. Yeah. So let's open up for questions and Ooh. questions for Andy. What do we do after doing a full year, and I've done a few packs, um, what do you do? Where do you go from here? You do another year and a few more packs. <laughs> I think um, my, when, when we started off, did anyone, anyone here use version one of the, 
Yeah. I did the version one the full year when that's oh, when you I did. was locked in. Okay. So I wa I was locked in all the way to the end. Yeah. And then I switched to version two to Okay. Do so just just to explain for those people, um so version one was wow, it feels like a long time ago now, but the journey was designed really differently. And it was designed as a 365-day journey. So I just sat in the studio and studio and did 365 days in a row. And the idea was that one, once you were in it, you were in it. And you had no choice. You just turn up the next day, and that's the teaching the next day. And I think it was, for me, it was a really interesting kind of thing to do. But the feedback from, from a lot of people was, well, it's great that you get on to, say, relationships in month six but I'm arguing with my partner right now. Like, what do I do? I can't ask them to wait. So we, we started to look at kind of, okay, how we could bring packs together and kind of make them, uh, yeah, I, I guess so you could design your own journey. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for this. My question is about my brother. Um, I'm very, very much into meditation, and my brother's a very busy, very successful doctor, husband, father of two, and constantly tells me, I don't have time to meditate. I'm too busy. I don't have time to meditate. He really needs meditation. He's driving all of us nuts. Um, so can you please, I will send him this podcast, and could you please tell him why it's so important that he meditates so he can hear it from you and not his little sister? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no pressure. Um, <laughs> and what is his first name? John. Hi, John. Mm -hmm. um, look, it's, it's amazing how often when, when I meet people and they ask about Headspace and they say, Oh wow, my, my husband could really do with Headspace. Or my wife could really do with Headspace. Um, it's the first time I've had a brother, but um, <laughs> look, I, all of us live a, a very stressful life. Whether we, I think it's, I'd say a stressful life. A lot of us lead a very busy life. I think the, the, the degree to which we experience stress depends very much on our, our experience and our perception of what's going on around us. And I would imagine even for, for him, you know, there will be days when he turns up in certain situations and he feels maybe quite calm, and other days when he turns up in exactly the same situation but feels very stressed. So right there is a good indication that it's not really what happens to us in life but rather how we approach that, that situation. He's a doctor, you say. So my own well firstly it's it's really important never to force meditation on anyone <laughs> like never never let people come to meditation in their own time um but if he were interested if you happen to be having sort of sunday lunch or something and there happened to be some mri scans hanging around on the table of before and after meditation i mean that could be interesting and probably something that a doctor would relate to. I was, I was genuinely fascinated. I had no idea about the science when I was in the monastery. And seeing now that those FM, fMRI scans and seeing how the, the parts of the brain are genuinely changing. They're receiving more blood flow. The structure of that cortex is changing. It's getting thicker. It's getting stronger. And as a result, we're experiencing greater levels of health and happiness. So for a doctor, I would say that's a very sort of compelling storyline. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is also Andy. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, uh, Andy. <laughs> and I think just echoing everyone here, you also have um, really changed my life. The past, I think, two or three months, I just felt like entirely new and in the best way possible. So thank you. Amazing. Um, my question is not to like ruin a sneak preview about the anxiety pack. 
Um, but I noticed that um, um, some at some points you kind of allude to the idea of um, noticing the anxiety mm. as separate from that which is noticing the anxiety or, or the anxiety as being separate from that which is noticing. Yeah. Um, so I kind of would love to hear your thoughts on like the self um, and where you stand on that. Ooh, this wow. is the pack I'm on too. <laughs> wow. Okay, where I stand on the idea of self? Yes. <laughs> um, how, lo how long we got? <laughs> um, look, I, I think most of us have a, a very solid idea of self. I'm not going to go into too much kind of detail. Um, but I think most of us have a, we have a storyline in our mind. We believe we kind of know who we are. It's based on our conditioning, our experience, our environment, and as we've grown up. A lot of that storyline is based on reality. A lot of it isn't. Uh, if you check the storyline that's running in your mind, very often it's a storyline that was relevant maybe two years ago, but right now kind of isn't really based on what's happening in our life. I think when we sit down and, and we meditate, we, we start to, to see that actually everything is transient. Everything is passing. Thoughts come and go. We might experience the same thought again and again, and we might think it's the same thought. It's a bit like watching the snowfall. You see one flake, you might think all the flakes are the same. Everyone's different. So every thought that comes back is a different thought. It arises from emptiness, and it disappears into emptiness. Same with feelings. Same with everything in our life. It comes and goes. So given that everything is transient, given that we have nothing to hold on to at all, there's really no point in even trying to control in the way that we do, you know? And, and so we, we try to hold on to this idea of self, this idea of identity, of who we are, but more often than not, that actually causes a lot of, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty, and a lot of anxiety. Instead, if we can kind of recognize and accept that actually everything is always changing, and kind of maybe even relax into that uncertainty a little more, then we find a, a sense of, of flow in life. So I would just say start just to, not to throw out the idea of self, but just to kind of examine that idea of everything being transient, everything changing. It can be a little scary at first, but that is the journey of meditation, sort of letting go of that firmly held belief that we are a certain kind of person. So if you imagine, if you, if you experience anxiety a lot, you may well be wearing that label, I'm an anxious person. And you carry that around with you. You are telling yourself on a daily basis that you are an anxious person, reaffirming that belief. And it's just a thought. Like you could see that thought and go, oh yeah, that's thinking. And let it go. And then all of a sudden you're not an anxious person. It's the person. You know, so we can find freedom from, you know, uh, examining that relationship with self. I've gifted Headspace out to really close people, and it's just something that's so personal. And I feel like this is the first time I've ever been in a room with other Headspacers, um, if that's the term that we want to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there a plan to put like a community or a social component to this? Because I, I would love to talk to people about it and, and yeah. see the effects on, on them and, and, and see what I'm, I'm getting back from, from my own journey. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I, 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 I love uh, that you asked that question. It's something that I'm deeply passionate about. Um, Rich and I are constantly looking at this idea of community. Uh, as a whole team, actually, we're looking at, we really believe that that's the, sort of the, the third leg of the stool. And, and we're passionate about bringing it to life. There are lots of different ways we can bring community to life, both within the app and outside of the app. Um, 
part of those changes you'll you'll see, as I say, in, in kind of months to come as as it as the app develops. But we are also kind of looking. We're actually thinking of maybe uh, bringing back the events as well, so that there was something really nice about people coming together, and you know, just just sharing that experience because I think it can feel sometimes when you're at home on your own as though you know you're on your own, and that's why we put in the. I don't know if you see at the bottom of the. You know how many people are how many people are meditating at the time, and hopefully that at least gives you some sense that look you're not on your own. There's another twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand people meditating at exactly the same time as as you are. But yeah, it's something that we're really passionate about. We're committed to it, and you can hold me to that. And we we will find a way of of bringing it alive. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask that I don't think has been addressed yet is that sometimes when I'm meditating, I don't always have a transcendent experience. Yeah. And there are times where you're kind of like in a rut yeah. and trying to get the mind to not judge harshly on the self. That <laughs> yeah. like, hey, what happened? And not to analyze that. Do you have like any, I suppose, recommendation on to how to deal with that and let it be like as is? I mean, I... I, again, I, I love it as a question. I think it's really important when, when you sit down to, or when we sit down to meditate, we're training in awareness. And we're not only aware of the things that are, are pleasant and happy and blissful, we're also aware of the things that are difficult and challenging. I think one of the, the more difficult challenges is that when we, when we begin to meditate, we start thinking about the exercise. So if we're not having a, a so-called transcendent experience, then there is a voice in our mind that's telling us that we're not having a transcendent experience, right? So we're, we're thinking about the experience and kind of judging the experience. So it's really important to treat every thought equally. So it doesn't matter whether you're thinking about a conversation you have with someone else, or if you're planning what you're gonna do after your meditation, or if you're thinking you're watching your breath too closely, or if you're thinking this isn't going as well as it did yesterday or last year, or why am I not enlightened yet? Like those are just thoughts. And they are they should be treated in exactly the same way as any other thought. And it's really tricky. And trust me, everybody does it. I did it for years. And and it's really hard not to sort of buy into that that thought process, thinking that the mind that is thinking about the technique is somehow different from the mind that's producing all the other thoughts. Same mind, just thoughts. So as much as possible, just, just treating those thoughts in exactly the same way and knowing that meditation is not about sitting in bliss every day. Actually, sometimes it's sitting with a mind that's really kind of difficult to deal with, but through that process, we not only learn awareness, but we also kind of learn empathy and compassion and start to understand why other people kind of struggle with their their minds sometimes yeah Andy I have a confession what is it <laughs> so when I first started when I would have too many thoughts and I thought I wasn't doing it right I would start over <laughs> every, time? every time how are you even here Amy Jo like, I had to tell my husband it was too time consuming and he said I think you're doing it wrong <laughs> and I would just like oh so every time a thought arose not just a thought but I just like that's just too many thoughts okay yeah back to square one and wow there's some user error things that yeah. have gone in my experience <laughs> introducing the perfection um no I, I think no we are we are all I'm like oh, i'm doing it wrong I, yeah I, on that you know that is um 
I'm sorry. We I should have <laughs> made it clearer in the app. But I, I no, do. I think I was just being a little too. Th there is separate. a tendency, I think, for all of us to to judge our meditation, and we have a, an inner critic that's normally really kind of tough, not only on those around us but also on ourselves, and and we tend to bring that to meditation. Know that meditation is, I think it's quite tricky. You know, it's it's okay to have days when the mind's just all over the place. Remember, it's not about stopping thoughts. It doesn't matter if you have a really busy mind. What matters is whether you get lost in that busyness. As long as you're able to, to kind of maintain that sense of awareness, you're training your mind and you're learning something really valuable to, to carry into to everyday life. Yeah. Hi. I'm I'm a journalist and as because of that job have to focus a lot on current events and most of my stress and anxiety right now comes from everything that's happening in the world and I was wondering if you had any recommendations of packs to to turn to when feeling very upset about another shooting or another tragedy or perhaps uh, the day after the presidential election. Wow. I wasn't sure if we were going to go there or not. I mean I've been do working on that pack, for, pack that? for about the last year. I, I'm not even sure I can do that. It's, um, so I, I, I think it's, it's something that a, a, lot of, um, a lot of us can kind of relate to. There are a lot of really difficult things going, going on in the world, really shocking things. And I'm personally not a fan. I know some people say, well, just don't watch the news. Obviously, you, you can't, for starters. It's your job. But I, I'm actually not a, a believer in that either. I think it's actually really important that, that we do know what's going on around the world. I do think there are certain ways we can kind of interact with it. I think if we are constantly dipping into it all day long, then we kind of feed it. Again, I appreciate it's your job. But for, for a lot of people, just constantly, just when we're bored, just kind of dipping back into it the whole time. I don't think that's particularly helpful and we're, we're not training the mind in a particularly healthy way. I think when something really challenging happens, it's a very personal thing, but my own kind of preference is in those moments, it's very easy to get caught up in feelings of, of anger, frustration, because we can't do anything about it. Or it might be anxiety. But when we do that, we tend to kind of go inwards. We focus on ourselves. We've, I, it's like, I feel angry about this or I feel anxious about this. For me, I, I try and find, uh, I'll say packs, I don't do the packs, but I, I try and find techniques which kind of flip that around and instead focus on, on, other, on other people. So if you go into the relationship pack, for example, it's about focusing on others and our sense of wanting those other people to be happy, to be well. It might be change. And, and knowing that as painful as it is in that moment, it is going to change. And you'd, I mean, you'll know better than all of us in the news. What's news one day, it's gone. It doesn't mean it's gone from the world or it's disappeared, but it is always changing. So to look for the, the packs that I feel kind of, I, I would look at appreciation. I'd look at acceptance. I would look at change. Uh, and I'd look at kindness. And th those four packs where we kind of have to remove ourselves from the equation and really focus on, on others instead, I think is, is a helpful way to do it. I think that wraps us up. Uh, but thank you everyone for being here. And thank you also to Andy for- It's a pleasure, be before, sorry, just oh, quickly, sorry. sorry. I just wanted to say, you know, Firstly, thank you to you all for, for coming along this evening. It's uh, genuinely, it's really, really lovely. I, I sit in a, a little recording studio 
behind a microphone. I can't see any of you, you know, and it's really lovely. It's lovely to see you. It's lovely to hear your stories. I'm really grateful to you for using the app as well, because the app wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you guys kind of all using it. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it's really from me and, and all of the, the Headspace team. Thank you.